Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, great, everyone. Uh, for anyone that's perhaps uh, slipped in uh, for uh, the first time, perhaps you're with us for the first time today, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here, uh, and a big welcome to you, and also a welcome to anyone that's listening online. Uh, it's great to have you uh, with us and journeying with us. And uh, to say we are midway through a series at the moment that we have entitled uh, The Heart of Jesus, really trying to get to grips with the heart of Jesus. What is on Jesus' heart for us and for people, and we're doing that as we track through the gospel of Mark. Uh, Today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, and so if you have a Bible with you, uh, you want to open a physical Bible or open up uh, an app on your phone or tablet, that's also fine, Um, okay? And so you can find your way, uh, work your way to Mark chapter 2, and and one of the things, one of the questions that I think gets raised in this um, in this passage as we look at it uh, today, is this question of, is God able to improve my life? Is God able to improve my life? Is God able to actually make a positive difference in my life? Does our life get any better for having a relationship with God? What does Christianity claim to be the motivation for developing a relationship with God? Uh, And I think those are great questions for us to to wrestle with. If you have been a Christian for a lengthy period of time, or perhaps you hear and and you're thinking about Christianity, you're seeking, you're asking questions, this is a good one to ask. What is it that is better about having a relationship with God than not having a relationship with God? Uh, And as I was reflecting on this this question, I was reminded of a parable that Jesus teaches, and and it might be uh, one that you remember. And essentially, Jesus says this. He says, this is what it's like to discover the kingdom of God. This is what it's like to, to begin to have a relationship with God where we are able now to engage with God and the things of God. He says, it's like you walking in a field, okay, or you're walking, on, uh, you're walking at Banstead Woods or, or, or Rygate Hill or something like that. You're walking along and suddenly you discover this treasure that is worth more than anything you can imagine. I'm not sure what that would be for you. I was trying to imagine a good example of what that could be, some kind of uh, check uh, or a, a bond or, or uh, something that's, uh, that's left to you or a ring. I'm not sure if this ring would really be all that uh, monetarily valuable. It's very personally valuable. Um, despite the errors that we have written on the inside of it. You can ask us about that. It's quite amusing. Um, okay, so, so you find this thing of, of great value, of incredible worth, and you go out and you sell everything that you have to be able to buy the land that you found this treasure on, this pearl of great price. And, and we discover in the Bible that what, what Jesus actually says is that to have a relationship with God When we discover what that's really like, what that really can be like, it can become more valuable to us than anything else, to the point that we would be willing to sacrifice everything to be able to have it. That's how precious and valuable it is 
for us as people to have a relationship with God. But I think not only is having a relationship with God that valuable, not only is Jesus, if you like, the greatest gift to us that we could ever receive, we see that God cares about us. And he actually comes into our lives to transform our lives for our good. Not only does he give us himself, but he actually meets and engages with us in our areas of felt need, and even in some of our deepest desires. doesn't mean God gives us all our deepest desires, because some of our deepest desires aren't very good, and he needs to transform them. But God engages with us in our areas of felt need and in our deepest desires. More than that, God is also able to address the needs that we perhaps don't even know we have yet. Just like a parent is often aware that their children have needs that they are not aware of. Or perhaps the, the parent knows that these are really important needs and the children don't really think they're that important at all, like eating vegetables or doing your homework. Okay? So God knows the things that are our felt needs. He knows our desires. He also knows the needs that we have that we are not yet perhaps consciously aware of. And so I want to pray for us as we come into this time that God would give us a grace to be able to engage with him, open up our hearts to him, because God this morning wants to connect with each one of us in our areas of felt need, in the areas where we have deep desire, and even in those areas where we're perhaps not aware that we have a need yet, but God knows it's there. And so, Father, I pray for each of us. I pray for a grace this morning to be able to come to you and to bring our hearts to you, to open up our hearts to you, to open up our spirits to you, that you would be able to come in, connect with us, and minister to us in those areas of need that we have, the needs that we can feel, the desires that we have, and even those things that you know we need that we're not aware of yet. God, I thank you that your care for us is so great, is so complete, that you would give us yourself and you even care for our lives. That we would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. The goodness of God in the land of the living. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, those of you who've got to Mark chapter 2, that's great. Um, we're going to read the first 12 uh, verses together. I'm going to make some comments as we go along. So here we go, Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, but like messy church on a Sunday. Not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, uh, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the man, lowered the mat the man was lying on. Then Jesus saw 
their faith and said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, forgive me for the way that I read that. Um, But something that I was struck by as I was reflecting on this story, and just to pause at this point, is the role the man's community played in helping this person get to Jesus. Now, obviously, for this paralyzed man, it was a very physical need that he had. He needed help to be able to move, to be able to get close to God. And even to the point that they had to dig through the roof. I'm not sure how excited our trustees would feel about someone digging through the roof here uh, in order to be able to get into the service. It'd be great if we were that full that that needed to happen. Um, but, But here there is this community of people that are helping this man get to Jesus when otherwise it would have been very difficult for him. And so many of us don't have that same physical challenge, but some of us... I'm sure many of us are here today and have a relationship with God today because someone played a role in helping us come to God. Someone introduced us to Jesus. Someone invited us to come to an Alpha course. Someone invited us to come to church. Maybe you're here this morning because someone invited you to come along to this Visitor Sunday. People who play a key role in helping us discover who Jesus is. And I remember times in my life where I have felt really stuck. Perhaps there's been something about God that I haven't been able to understand, something in my life that I've been struggling to process, maybe pain or challenge that I haven't been able to overcome or deal with on my own yet. And I'm so thankful to the people that I've had in my life who haven't just listened to my challenge. That's great. It's cathartic to talk about our problems, and that's an important thing to do. But I'm also so grateful for the people that I've been able to talk to, and they have then, hearing my challenge, helped me to actually get to God. That God could be present in the midst of my challenge and help me to process it. And so I really want to encourage you, for those of you who are perhaps uh, not in a prayer triplet or a connect group in the church, these are amazing ways to develop relationships with people so that you can have community around you to help you to get to God when you feel stuck. And so this is one of perhaps the primary ways in this church that we help facilitate that. If, If you're not in a connect group, I'd love to encourage you, come and chat to me so that I can help you to get plugged into one. Uh, I know in my life for years, um, I had what we called an accountability group with two other guys, and we would pray together, really regularly pray for one another, challenge each other. They really challenged me in my life, and I would not be the person I am today if it were not for the way that they had journeyed with me and helped me and helped me get to God when otherwise I might have found it difficult. I think another thing that I I find uh, important about just to this point in the story is the significance of approaching God with faith. And that might sound strange because we think perhaps we need to get to God to be able to have faith. But I think there's something significant about coming to God with a heart of faith, a, a soft heart, a heart that is open. The way that we come to God is significant. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he acted. We'll talk in a moment about the way that he acted. But when he saw their faith, that was when he acted and responded. 
And there is something powerful about being able to come to God with a heart of faith. What they'd heard about God had affected the way that they were now coming to God. And I think that's really powerful. The Bible has some pretty amazing things to say about God, about Jesus, that can help to inform and shape our hearts as we then come to him. Uh, For those of you that are perhaps taking notes, in John's Gospel, chapter 21, um, John writes this. He says that we have not recorded everything that Jesus did. There's not space for it. If we were to write down everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said, it would take up all the books on the earth. They didn't live in this digital age where there's sort of limitless space for that. They had to write on scrolls and parchments. And they said, if we were to write it all out, it would take forever. Jesus has done so many amazing things. But what we've recorded is recorded so that you could believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. See, faith is the vehicle that enables us to connect with God and connect with the reality of the kingdom of God. And I found that allowing the scriptures, these accounts of Jesus and Jesus' words, to set my belief in who God is and what God is able to do for me and for others. It has shaped the way that I connect with God so that as we come to him, we come with a heart of faith, having been shaped by the stories we've heard, just like these men who brought their friend to Jesus. And Jesus is able to say, I see your faith, and now I'm able to act and to respond. Okay, let's go on. Verse, verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? I sometimes think the language in the Bible is quite amusing. You can just imagine. Who's this fellow think he is speaking like this, this Jesus? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because what has Jesus said? I see your faith. I forgive your sins. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Okay, so let's just deal with this first action of Jesus to declare that his sins have been forgiven. You'd imagine, or at least I would imagine, if a paralyzed person came forward to Jesus for prayer, everybody around is thinking that what the person wants is to be healed and to be able to walk again. Would, I mean, would that be a fair assumption? That is the very obvious felt need in the room. And yet, that is not the need that Jesus addresses, at least not first of all. He begins by addressing a need that became quite offensive, actually, to the people who were in the room. He says, your sins are forgiven. You know, I was thinking, we, we tend to like things to happen in the right order. Uh, have you noticed that? We all have a way of doing things that we like, and if you mess with the way that people like to do things in the order that they like to do them, things can get quite tense. 
Okay, so if we came in and we, and we totally mixed up the order of how we did the church service this morning, probably some, be some people, including myself, that would start to feel a bit tense, okay? Or, or you go to someone's house, uh, I'm not sure what it, what it works like for you in your house, but, you know, we don't generally start with pudding. So if you were to go to someone's house and you begin with pudding, and then you go to the, and then you go to the main meal, and then you have the starter at the end, you'd feel a bit confused, you know, that this doesn't feel right. You know, or your kids come home and they want to do Xbox before homework, and, and, and that's not your order. You know, it's meant to go the other way around. It's meant to go homework, homework and then Xbox. And, and, and I think for us, we have this desire. We want our felt needs to be met before perhaps our spiritual needs. And in this instance, Jesus does it in other ways and other times. It's hard to peg down a formula for him. But in, in this instance, he deals with the spiritual need first. And I think he does that because he knows our biggest need. And our biggest need is to be able to connect with God. That's where we get real life, eternal life that ultimately will transcend and go far beyond the lifespan of this body. You all know that your body has a lifespan, okay? It has an expiry date. We, we don't know what it is, Thankfully, it's not sort of stamped on us like the food you buy at the supermarket. But these bodies have an expiry date. But you don't if you have a relationship with God. Your life is able to transcend the length of this body, that this body is able to live. But in order to do that, you need to connect with God. And that's not possible unless we are forgiven of the sins that we have committed against God. You know, we, um, we recently got a new television. It's much better than our old one. There's been much rejoicing in the household. All the boys have been rejoicing, including the, the bigger one. Um, but um, one of the things about this, this television is that unless you can connect it to the internet, all of the great features that are there are pretty useless. It's just a black box that uses power and isn't able to do very much at all. And it's like us in our lives. You have incredible potential. You were made in the image of God. But if we can't connect with God, so much of that potential is left untapped because the most important thing that we were created to do is to connect with God. And so Jesus goes on to say, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And that's quite a big thing for him to say because the, the people, the religious people of the time understood that when we sin, it's firstly against God. I have sinned against God. And so how could someone other than God have the right to declare that your sins are forgiven? It's a bit like if I offend some of you I offend you, and someone else comes to me and says, don't worry, Jason, it's all right, I forgive you. You'd be feeling a bit like, hang on a minute, I haven't forgiven him. He has, you don't have the right to say you're forgiven. You need to deal with that with me. And that's what they were recognizing. Who is Jesus to say, I forgive your sins, when your sins have been committed against God? And Jesus says, I want you to know who I am. I need you to understand, I am the one that has authority on the earth to forgive your sins because your sins have been committed against me. I am God. 
is essentially what he's saying. And I'm going to prove it to you. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. You can just sort of imagine the gobsmacked faces of all of the religious elite. This amazed everyone, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. See, Jesus says, I want you to know. I want you to know who I am, and I want you to know what I can do, and what I can do for you, that I have the authority to make it possible for you to reconnect with God, to live connected to God. Because I'm the only one who has lived perfectly without sin and yet took the punishment for your sin anyway. I've paid the price and I'm the one that you sinned against. And so I have the authority to forgive your sin, that you could reconnect with God. And to prove it to you, I'm going to meet the felt need that everyone can see, that no one thinks can be dealt with. And so pick up your mat, get up, and walk. And he does two miraculous things with this man. He heals him spiritually, emotionally, and physically in the presence of everyone that's there. See, God cares about your spiritual needs. He cares about your felt needs. And either he will journey with you in the midst of your pain and challenge, but like he does with the Apostle Paul. Do you know the story of Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who miraculously is able by the grace of God to heal so many people? And yet when he prays to God for himself to be healed, God seems to say, Paul, this is going to remain with you. I'm not going to take this away. But I am also going to remain with you. Because my grace is sufficient in your weakness. And people will see the glory of God in the face of the challenge that you are walking through. And so where there's not that restoration, we have God's presence with us in a unique and special way. God will be with us in our challenge and in our pain. Or, like the man here, God will supernaturally, amazingly intervene to heal. And that's why we pray for healing, because we've been called to do it. Because we believe that when we pray, God cares about our felt needs, and he can engage and intervene. And so we go to war in prayer, recognizing it's a mystery. And recognizing whatever happens, the mercy of God will be displayed. And so God wants us to know he's able to meet us at our points of need. The ones we can feel, the ones we know about. How many of you have needs right now in your life that you're aware of, that you can feel? <laughs> okay. God wants you to know he knows and he cares and he will be with you in the midst of that. God also knows you have needs that you maybe don't even know about. And he's even working on those right now. See, when we give God freedom in our lives to engage with us, to lead us, to connect with us, we end up being able to live pretty exciting and meaningful lives for God. 
We can live lives that really do become amazing so that the people around are amazed at what God is able to do. Everyone in the Bible has a slightly different story. That's one of the things that's fantastic about it. We see how God works with different people in different ways. Just like each one of you and me are going to have a different story with God. But everybody, everybody who walks with God is able to discover that God is able to transform and change our lives for our good and the good of the community and for his glory. God is able to improve our lives with his presence and even in the ways that we are concerned about. And I was thinking about this over the last over 2,000 years. Christian people have been able to say, whether I suffer for him, whether I suffer with him, or whether we have victory through him, abundant life is found nowhere else other than in the person of Christ. Whether we, whether we suffer for him, like the apostles and the early church, and many Christians today are having to suffer for their faith. Whether we suffer with him, as Paul did, as God presences himself with us in the midst of our pain, or whether we have victory through him, God shows us the abundant life is found nowhere else but in Christ Jesus himself. And so Jesus wants you to know it's possible for you to connect with him in a very powerful way today. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.